As we get ready to wrap things up in the fast lane, looking ahead to the Christmas holiday, of course, uh, we'll be available throughout the entire weekend and maybe over the Christmas holiday, depending on what unfolds. Fast Lane, Ed Lane, where you listen to podcasts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the ways to keep up with us during the holiday season. And, and by the way, speaking of which, uh, we've had some interesting feedback. We always love the interaction there. Zach, who is also a, a contributor to a CFRed.com, but he had chimed in about uh, the PFF rankings, Conference USA and the all-conference team. And, you know, he'd been skeptical of how a three-win team and the conference champion Liberty had the same number of teams. And, you know, it kind of goes to a bigger point that we've mentioned here in the fast lane. I see value in analytics, and even in some of the PFF work, in terms of the raw analytical data, in terms of measuring yards per play, expected yards per play, things like that. But the grades, which seem to be a little bit more uh, subjective, shall we say, are the ones where I'm left scratching my head and, and having a little bit more difficulty believing that. So if you're monitoring that information, that's kind of my take on it. Somebody who is familiar with analytics, familiar with the work of PFF as well, and he's talked about it plenty on the GM Shuffle podcast as well as his VSIN show, The Lombardi Line, is former NFL executive Michael Lombardi, the three-time Super Bowl winner, is with us once again in the fast lane. Michael, first of all, a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday season to you and yours, and second of all, when it comes to PFF, their analytics, and just general analytics, what's the proper context if you could help refresh us and our listeners on how to properly understand the use of that data? Well, first of all, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Happy holidays. Uh, I think, you know, we are in the information business when you work in the NFL, and you have to understand what's good information, what's reliable information, and what information doesn't really always apply. Game situations tend to matter. Uh, Pro football focus, you have to evaluate who's doing the evaluation. I mean, one of the things that really you have to understand when you work in the National Football League is just because somebody says something doesn't necessarily mean it's true. So I think ultimately where I get into a little disconfiguration with pro football focus is that I don't know who's doing the grading. I don't know the level of experience. I don't know the level of understanding. You know, when you talk about coverages and you talk about certain things that happen on a football field, I'm not sure that I see it the same way they do now. There's a value in some of the things, as you mentioned, especially at EPA and all those stuff. But I think what you have to really get to when you're dealing with player evaluation is, is are we, do we understand the scheme the player is going to play in? Do we understand the scheme the player is currently playing in? And what he's being asked to do within that. That requires a lot of knowledge. And I'm not sure if we don't know who the evaluator is, can we really accurately predict that knowledge is true? How much of a challenge is that in general? And obviously it's something you are also trying to convey in your book, Football Done Right, but how there are a lot of gaps in watching football, which makes it fascinating, but when you call it chess on grass, as you do on the GM Shuffle podcast regularly, that there are gaps in terms of what we see or don't see and what's actually being asked of a player by his team. Yeah, I think you have to understand players and plays, Eddie. So, you know, if we get all excited, everybody goes all dick vitale when a quarterback completes a pass to a receiver, when the scheme, the design of the pass is the reason why the receiver was open. If you're playing zone and you throw it out coverage against cover three, they're willing to give you that, you know? And so does that make the receiver really good or does that make the scheme really good? So you've got to be able to separate players and plays. And if a guy's unblocked and he gets a sack, is it because the player I mean, you know, you have to be really careful on how you evaluate and look at numbers, especially in football. Football's not baseball. 
So the numbers have a little bit of a flexibility to them in terms of what we're seeing and as it relates to the scheme. So that's why you have to scout inside out. That's why you have to understand what you're doing, what your team wants, as opposed to what it's being asked so then you could find players that fit within that framework. Michael Lombardi, three-time Super Bowl winning NFL executive, give the gifts of his books, either his latest, Football Done Right, or before that, Gridiron Genius. Heck, even a VEASAN subscription to have access to Michael's great articles at VEASAN.com as he is uh, once again with us here in the Fast Lane. Michael, uh, speaking of, you know, knowing what we know and don't know, and of course your work at VEASAN.com, you touched on this earlier this week, your article about teams winning games and understanding, dictating games, determining games, and how to figure out the measurement of a win as we head toward postseason play. Elaborate on that a little bit more in terms of teams that have high win-loss records, favorable win-loss records heading toward the playoffs, how a lot of them are not created equally and how we as fans can evaluate and learn how to properly evaluate that. Well, you know, Bill Parcells once said, you know, you are what your record says it is, and that's so true. You are. But within that record, there comes some some determination. And I, and I think ultimately you've got to evaluate all your wins in a certain section. And so if you've dominated a team, for example, last night we watched the Saints play the Rams. The Saints, the Rams dominated the game from start to finish. The game ended up eight points, 30 to 22, but the fourth quarter was really about the, the, the Saints just trying to make it look like better than it actually was. The Rams dominated the game. Then there's games where, uh, you know, you, you win the game, but what I call – Basically, you dictated the game, but you never had fully dominating the game. So you won the game in the fourth quarter, or you won the game at a certain point, but you made enough mistakes where you thought, okay, this is kind of like we didn't play our best football. And then there's games where basically they're dangerous wins, where you win the game and you really shouldn't have won. The other team kind of lost more than you won. And if you don't categorize your wins like that, then you can't gain improvement then you can't take the next step towards figuring out what's wrong with your team to help your team win and play better. Michael, we'll kind of pivot away for just a second because you mentioned the Saints and their loss last night. And, of course, Derek Carr has been one of the subjects for that. But you tweeted this at M. Lombardi NFL a week or two ago. And, of course, uh, you tweet regularly there in addition to your work for VEASAN and the GM Shuffle podcast. But you tweeted about Derek Carr at the time being in concussion protocol for the second time uh, in four weeks. And we've seen this a couple times now with the NFL how likely is it that maybe that's the rule that gets the most attention this offseason in terms of second time in concussion, you go to the four-week IR as opposed to the tush-push rule or the fumble out of the end zone rule, which people talk about but clearly don't have as much of an impact, frankly, on the bottom line of the NFL where lawsuits could be uh, won or lost based on how you handle things like concussions? Well, I think to me, if, you, if, you've gotten, if you've been in a concussion protocol twice in the last month, I think there should be a general rule. You know, now I'm not a doctor, so I can't make rules that are applied to medicine. But it seems to me, you know, when you go in a concussion protocol for the third time, like Carr did, are, are we sure we should let him back on the field without really clearing him? And and maybe his concussion wasn't. You know, we label it a concussion. And again, I don't know the full details because I'm not privy to it. Sometimes we call an ankle sprain a high ankle when it's not, and then therefore when the kid comes back and plays, we really don't realize that it wasn't a high ankle. So, for me. I think you have to have certain kind of standards that you adhere to because I think it's important that, you know, if players are, are, are having too many concussions in a row, that's going to eventually affect them, maybe not today, but later in life.
Michael Lombardi stepping into the fast lane. We're grateful for his time. Of course, think of a great gift like the books he's written, Gridiron Genius, and most recently, Football Done Right. There's still time to go order those books for this holiday season and uh, stuff the stocking of a loved one or maybe even give the gift to yourself uh, of a great book. I've read Gridiron Genius. I'm in the middle of football done right. Um, And it's interesting because you look at where we are right now in college football, but more importantly in pro football, with the understanding of what coaches do. And you mentioned the secret to success is in the non-obvious and understanding what the job is and isn't. Um, You most notably noted at the Daily Coach earlier this week, struggles of coaches that have had success consistently. Bill Belichick, Mike Vrabel, Mike Tomlin, and then others outside the world of football. Um, But you wrote about that. How do you differentiate between what may be a one-off or a bit of a slump versus a coach that realistically is is maybe lost it or the game has changed on them? I think you could see it in their intensity and you could see it in their passion. Look at Pete Carroll the other day. We wrote about this for the Daily Coach. His childlike appetite for winning. You know, and sometimes, you know, you know, we just look at the scoreboard, but his passion, his love of what he does is real. And I think when you have that, and especially when you have experience like Belichick and Tomlin do, you don't lose it. And I think both of these guys now situations are different. And I think we don't always understand what goes on behind the scenes. We just judge everything based on how we want it to go. So I think it's really about their passion. I think you don't guys, when you do what you do and you love what you do, you don't lose it. You, you, what you lose is your passion for it, and when you lose that, then it's time to get out. Michael, elaborate on that if you would a little bit more, because in your book, Football Done Right, Bill Belichick is number three of your ten greatest coaches in the NFL of all time, and it's worth reading that. I'm, I'm wrapping up that part right now. But you mentioned you know, where he is in his success, but also uh, his time in New England. I can't help but think back about a decade ago when Andy Reid's time wrapped up in Philly that – the organization was so much better in Philly because of Andy Reid. And, of course, in New England, it's so much better because of Belichick. But is there also some validity to the concept that sometimes the time is right for both parties to go their separate ways and both parties still could be successful in their next endeavors? Correct. Yeah, I think to me sometimes what you see is sometimes the organizations just want to change how they do things, right? The process of the way they behave. And in New England, it's been what I call the Lone Star model, where Belichick has really run the entire organization, and the Crafts have allowed him to do that. And it's resulted in numerous Super Bowl appearances and six Super Bowl wins. So it's been very fortunate. It's been very good for them. But maybe now they may want to decide, okay, now we want to come back and look at something different and see how that goes. So I think, to me, this is about structure more than it is about him not being able to handle the job. Michael, you did it. You brought up the phrase, the process. I know as a Philadelphia 76ers fan, that's a a tough phrase to utter, and even more so in our neck of the woods because the process is synonymous with the new owner of the Washington Commanders, Josh Harris. By all accounts, they're going to make wholesale changes. Coaching staff, GM, the entire works is what's expected in the next couple of weeks. You're familiar with Josh Harris's process, maybe with the scar tissue included in that, but you're also familiar with the NFL process of these changes at this time of year. What's going on behind the scenes in Washington, looking at the direction of their program? You know, I think if you just do deductive reasoning, I think that, you know, obviously they're going to make a move and change and fire Ron Rivera. There's no question they're going to do that. Now, what they do, uh, where they go moving forward, to me, is, is going to be really determined by where he sees the direction of the organization. But the one thing I think we could say with a, with a certain degree of certainty is he didn't want to make a change during the season 
because I don't think there was a consensus within the building that Eric Bieniemy was the next guy that he was going to hire. And so there was some. It, it, it would have been an easy move to give Bieniemy an audition, but because I don't think there was a, a, a groundswell within the building to do that, I think ultimately then he decided that we're just going to ride this out with Rivera clean out the building, and then bring somebody in who can fill the building back up with the people that fit within the framework of what they want to do. You mentioned the framework of what's wanted with Josh Harris and his approach, and certainly in Washington. The name Bill Belichick has been mentioned around if he were to land somewhere, if he and New England end up parting ways at the end of this season. Uh, what's your assessment on whether he'd be a good fit in Washington? Maybe it's Carolina, particularly uh, Belichick's familiarity with Saban and the connection to Bryce Young and resurrecting him. Maybe it's the Chargers uh, who have an open What's your sense on that? Well, I think, look, he's one of the greatest coaches of all time, like I wrote about in Gridiron Genius. So he's going to make any organization he goes to better, and he has great passion for the profession. And he's, he hasn't stopped working, and he hasn't stopped wanting to be the best that he can be. So whoever, if he decides to leave New England or New England decides to make a move, whoever gets him will benefit tremendously from an organizational structure, from a process structure. I mean, that's really important. You know, he, one thing Belichick has done is he's sustained success. It's never just a one-year-and-done thing with Belichick. Belichick has been able to win consistently. Now, this year they're not, certainly. But, you know, for the better part of, of 20 years there, they've won. Now, you could say, well, it's Tom Brady. Well, Justin Herbert hasn't won, and he's a great quarterback. So it's more than just a quarterback. Michael Lombardi, three-time Super Bowl-winning NFL executive. He hosts the GM Shuffle podcast and also the Lombardi line on VSIN, and he writes for vsin.com, and he's with us here in the fast lane. Michael, we've encouraged our listeners to give the gift of football done right or gridiron genius. We'll wrap it up with this one. In the spirit of the Christmas holiday, as you reflect back on your time in the NFL, your sons being in the NFL, and just your love for the game of football, what are some of the greatest gifts that the NFL has given to us fans and those of us that enjoy the sport? Well, I mean, the, the entertainment factor is just tremendous. The, the understanding of com- competition, the, the ability to watch some of these great players perform uh, at the highest level, to enjoy that, to embrace that, and to show us what team sports are all about, the power of unity, the power of one uh, coming together, the ability for these teams to, to compete and show us what it takes to become a champion to me, are lessons that translate into business and translates into life. So football is truly a game of life. Vince Lombardi once said a college or a university that doesn't have a football team is basically the medieval study hall because football brings out some of the great qualities we need to do successful things in life. And I think watching it every week, it enhances our value as human beings to where we want to do exactly what they're doing on the field, which is play at a high level. That's a great point, Michael, through all the changes that pop up in, in life and in sports and things that may you know get us rubbed the wrong way, that ultimately there's so much value that comes from the game of football. Uh, we're grateful for your sharing that with us in Gridiron Genius and Football Done Right, books that make a great gift, and of course, uh, regularly at M. Lombardi NFL, the GM Shuffle Podcast, and VEASAN. And all that ties together to your work at The Daily Coach. I subscribe to The Daily Coach and find it very beneficial especially if you're looking for a New Year's resolution. That may be the hidden gift you could give yourself as a subscription to The Daily Coach. Michael, thank you very much for your time in the fast lane. A Merry Christmas to you and your family, and enjoy those grandkids. Thank you, Eddie. Appreciate you. Indeed. Michael Lombardi with us here in the fast lane, and really information, really insightful 
information on that. And of course, by the way, uh, Givens Books, if you're in the Lynchburg area, that's a great place to go to get football done right or Gridiron Genius. If they don't have it in stock, they can order it if you uh, are one of the latter people to go in there and all the books are sold out. I've not been to Givens in the last day or two, full confession, so can't fully speak to whether it's in stock, but if not, they'll order it and it would make a great gift and you can even uh, you know, give a little screenshot of it to let someone know that that's what's coming their way. It would be Phenomenal. But Michael brought up a great point as well and what's going on in Washington with the commanders and just the reassessment of their franchise. I mean, they're not doing their due diligence if they're not doing their due diligence on the next coaches because everyone can see right now they've officially been eliminated from playoff contention. Uh, you know, Ron Rivera stabilized things, but there was no real next step in terms of a direction to lead that organization. And that's what you have to find if you're Josh Harris. I'm fascinated by the Belichick dynamic and whether he would land there because, you know, again, I, speaking as an Eagles fan, I remember how the Eagles were a disaster before Andy Reid got there in 1999, and he stabilized things. He brought a philosophy. A lot of his principles are what they've used today, and the split was beneficial. Philly has gone on to two Super Bowls without Andy Reid. They've won one of them. Could have won last year's if they didn't uh, blow the game in the second half, but, you know, Andy Reid has gone on to win a pair of Super Bowls and make another one with the Kansas City Chiefs and is a perennial winner with all-world quarterback Patrick Mahomes. So organizations, everybody involved can benefit from a split. And New England still could. Belichick has laid a great foundation there, but you know, the phrase, it's time, seems to be a very valid thing. And the next step for Belichick, I would think, would be an owner that's willing to give him the level of leeway to operate. Um, I see a logic to why Washington and Carolina, but both want to bring someone in like Bill Belichick. Um. For Washington, the concern is, uh, you know, Josh Harris, the analytics, the process, are they too reliant on that? Belichick will embrace that, certainly, but uh, it's not, you know, live and die by analytics the way some teams do, uh, and Belichick's going to want to have a bigger hand, and that's the concern for Carolina, because it's no secret David Tepper has ruled with his own imprint and fingerprints on that organization, and Belichick will allow input, but he's going to want to have the final say and will point to his left hand or his right hand or you know whichever hand he keeps more rings on as evidence for why he would be able to have that credibility. You know, the Carolina one to me is fascinating because Bryce Young had a disastrous year, as is often the case when a rookie quarterback does not do well and you're making a coaching change on top of that. There's so much importance for the next coach to at least stabilize things and right the ship, and Carolina invested a ton in Bryce Young. They're obviously going to lose a top five pick in the NFL draft, maybe the number one pick, uh, to the Chicago Bears because of that trade. So if that's the case, Belichick, especially with Bill O'Brien, the ties to Alabama. O'Brien was at Alabama with Young. Of course, he's also uh, been in New England and knows Belichick, and they all have that Saban connection. That, that may be old school, but it also has proven to work with a guy like Bryce Young, and that's where I could see if you're Carolina, hey, if you really want to get it right, and you're an owner, even if it requires the ego to back off and let your ego take a back seat if you're David Tepper, I think there's a lot of validity to that approach. And meanwhile, obviously, in Washington, they have not had structure for the last two decades with Dan Snyder's tenure, and Belichick could provide that. So th there's a lot of reasons why he'll be sought after somewhere else and would be a really good fit. That story bears monitoring. Of course, we appreciate your time in the fast lane today and leading up to the Christmas holiday. As a reminder, we are off until next Thursday. No show Christmas. We'll observe Christmas the 26th. Virginia Tech football in the Military Bowl is the 27th. So we're not back till the 28th and 29th next Thursday and Friday. 
taking you up to the Fiesta Bowl and Liberty's date there and any news that breaks in between. In the meantime, Ty Tracy 90, Trey Lyle VT, and Fast Lane Ed Lane on our social media platforms. Fast Lane Ed Lane, wherever you listen to podcasts. And one more shameless, friendly reminder as well. Hit up the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app. We'll have both NFL games on Saturday. We'll have the triple header Sunday. We'll have the triple header Christmas Day Monday. So as you're around the house, moving from place to place, keep it locked to the app, and you'll have all the football you need till we're back Thursday, 5 to 6.